Nick Saban, over the past three seasons, has lost to three of his former assistants, losing to Jimbo Fisher and Kirby Smart in 2021, and in Week 2 of 2023, he lost to Steve Sarkeesian. Steve Sarkeesian being known as a genius offensive coordinator and a great leader of young men, but it was unknown until Week 2 whether he was the perfect CEO and fit for the job at Texas. Now, even with this win over Alabama, it is just week two, so we don't want to overreact. But we can, with cautious optimism and a very educated guess, say that Texas football is back. To go into Bryant-Denny Stadium, where Alabama has only lost two games in Bryant-Denny Stadium over the past decade. In 2019 to LSU, who went 15-0 and won the national championship, and in 2015 to an Ole Miss team that went 10-3 and I believe dominated in their New Year's Six Bowl game. Or they, I think they went 10-3, maybe it was 9-4, but I'm pretty sure they went 9-4 in 2014, when they also beat the Crimson Tide, though this time the Tide were playing the Rebels on the road, not the other way around. Anyway, the final score of this game, as you can see on the screen, Texas 34, Alabama 24. Texas being a team that was ridiculously efficient, Steve Sarkeesian dialed up the right play, Quinn Ewers executed on a high level, and Texas, not Alabama, Looked like they had the old Kirby Smart style defense that Alabama had from the late 2000s to the early and mid 2010s. This Texas defense is legit. The offense has one of the highest ceilings in the country, and that is after losing Bijan Johnson and Roshan Johnson, their two best running backs from last year. And Texas still found a way to get the run game involved. Um, whether it was Adani Mitchell, whether it was Xavier Worthy or Jordan Whittington, no matter who it was, the Texas Longhorns were able to pass. Obviously, Quinn Ewers had over 300 passing yards. And as well, we can't forget about Jatavion Sanders, the elite tight end. It was just a really good day to be a Texas fan. That's the honest truth to it. And in theory... This was Texas's hardest game, and it probably will be in retrospect at the end of the season. And the Longhorns, look, they have an opportunity to reach the college football playoff, to win the Big 12 for the first time since 2009. And speaking of the playoff, by appearing in the college football playoff, the Longhorns would be contending for their first national championship game appearance since 2009. It's been a long time since this Blue Blood program has been thrusted into the national spotlight with legitimate reason and not just preseason hype, but when you go on the road and beat Alabama, I am going to give you my flowers. So I'm happy for Texas. I'm happy for Steve Sarkeesian. I have been someone who for the past year or past two years before this preseason was not high on Texas. I was someone who didn't think that they would get 10 wins or win their conference in 2021 or in 2022. But in this preseason, 
I said that I think that Texas would be back. And I didn't pick them to win on the road at Alabama, and shame on me, but clearly they are better than I thought that they were. So we're going to talk about Texas. We're going to talk about Alabama. Uh, The ramifications, I think, for Nick Saban are more severe because even though the SEC does look down, Alabama football looks disorganized. They look depleted. They do not look like themselves, even more so than last year or the year previously. But maybe that's because I've been accustomed to them having Bryce Young, Mac Jones, Tua Tagovailoa at quarterback. Right now they have, in my mind, a even more immature by skill level addition of Jalen Hurts at quarterback. And with a wide receiver room that lacks in talent, an offensive line that is young, that has the talent, but not necessarily the execution, there are certainly questions about the Alabama Crimson Tide this season. Um, Before we get into the rest of this video, though, please subscribe to this channel and click the notification bell so you can get notified when I release new college football content and so that you can help us reach 20,000 subscribers by the end of this 2023 college football season. Also, like this video if you haven't already so we can get our channel and this content into the algorithm and reach as many Texas and Alabama football fans as possible. And lastly, but I would say most importantly, comment your thoughts on this game down below. I mean, what what is your reaction? Alabama was favored by 7 points and Texas won by 10. And there were moments when Alabama had the counterpunches to Texas. It sounds insane to say, but Texas was the better team, and it was it was clearly evident that they were the better team, in my mind, middle of the second quarter. That was pretty evident. When that Xavier Worthy pass was thrown for 44 yards by Ewers and there was a score, I got the feeling that Texas was going to keep this game closer than I thought and many others thought. And the 13-6 to score at halftime, and the fact that Alabama only scored two touchdowns, both of them being in the second half, that's pretty damaging. And that's pretty indicative of how this Alabama offense functions. Meanwhile, the Texas offense scored four touchdowns, three of them in the fourth quarter, one in the second quarter. Many of them, well, actually two of them, were long passes. A 39-yard pass to Adani Mitchell, that was the touchdown that basically sealed the win for Texas in one sense. And then the Xavier Worthy 44-yard touchdown pass that occurred in the second quarter. This Texas offense is efficient, they're physical, they have good protection. There is so much to praise and talk about in regards to Texas football. But one player who we have to focus on, is Quinn Ewers. Now, Quinn Ewers, look, in this game he played great. He had an efficient game against Rice. He wasn't as efficient. He didn't play as well. And he played this well and showed flashes like this at times last year, but he didn't have that consistency. One thing that I'm curious to see from Ewers is if this is Steve Sarkeesian's game plan and Quinn Ewers hit his ceiling in this game, And if we're going to see him come down after this game and he'll be inconsistent again, albeit I think it will be at a higher level, or if he'll play at this level for the rest of the year. Because that will determine 
whether Texas reaches the college football playoff, or if this game is sort of like 2010 Alabama versus Florida, that was a top 10 matchup between Nick Saban and Urban Meyer that year. The winner of that game, of course, would have been assumed to go to the BCS national title or contend for it, or at least win the SEC. It turned out that the winner of the game, Alabama, went 10-3, and and the loser in Florida went 8-5. and Neither team was as good as the rankings and the pundits anticipated them to be when they faced off in the regular season. Alabama that year, in 2010, they had so much talent in Mark Ingram, Greg McElroy, and a few other very talented players, especially at wide receiver. I think they had Julio Jones on that team, longtime NFL wide receiver. I think he's still at least an unsigned free agent. I don't necessarily know. I'm not an NFL guy. But I know that those players were on that Alabama team in college. And those Alabama teams, early in Nick Saban's tenure, all defense. The offense certainly wasn't, I would say, top 5 or 10 in points per game, but in talent. They certainly were. They lost to South Carolina, LSU, and Auburn that year. Florida lost to Alabama, and I forget who else they lost to, but four other teams. They went 7-5 and five in the regular season and beat Penn State in their bowl game. Um, anyway, to get back on topic, this, in my mind, watching this game felt like that game. I didn't feel like either of these teams were the best team in America, or even the second best team, or the third best team in America. I seriously didn't watching this game. These teams had their own moments of sloppiness. I know it's early in the season, but they had their own moments of sloppiness, their own errors. Alabama looked exactly the same as last year, except they don't have Bryce Young at quarterback. They don't have Jameer Gibbs at running back, which doesn't bode well, because I know LSU got blown out by Florida State, but I can tell you that LSU is mad, and I can also tell that LSU, they have talent. And Ole Miss, they went on the road, and they found a way to beat Tulane. Mississippi State found a way to beat Arizona. Arkansas, they have K.J. Jefferson. I mean, even though the SEC right now is not starting off well in non-conference play against opponents that matter, Auburn, for example, struggled against California, which is kind of gross. But it, it'll be tough for Alabama to win out from here, in my mind. And for Texas, it could be the same thing if... They aren't consistent, specifically if Quinn Ewers isn't consistent. But in this game, he had the best performance of his career so far. He went 24 of 38 for 349 yards and three touchdowns. And, I mean, my goodness, Steve Sarkeesian drew up the perfect plays. Guys were wide open, one-on-one opportunities, um, whether it was short passes taken for big gains, whether it was deep balls, whether it was, you know, Quinn Ewers doing, really doing what he was advertised to do in high school. It was all good. And he made the right plays. His arm talent and accuracy in this game was on point, 10 out of 10. His quarterback efficiency rating, I think by ESPN, was outside of the top 50 before this game. He didn't have a great game against Rice, but it rose up to 23rd as of this morning, and there are no more college football games. Week two was, there were some games on Thursday, there were some games on Friday. Saturday was the final day of week two. No Sunday games, no Monday games, unlike Labor Day weekend. Quinn Ewers had a great game, and kudos to him 
Five star out of high school. He went to Ohio State for a year and then transferred to Texas last year. Last year at Texas, he completed under 60% of his passes. He didn't throw for even close to 3,000 yards. He had 15 touchdowns, six interceptions passing, and a 132.6 passer rating. He was pretty mediocre, if not below average, by Power 5 standards last year. You saw the flashes, but his consistency was awful. This year, he already has 609 passing yards. He averages 9 yards per pass attempt, 6 passing touchdowns. He has a 167.6 passer rating. He's completed 63% of his passes. And against Alabama, this is something that you saw this with his, the fact that he was patient in the pocket. He eluded pressure. He's not as mobile as Jalen Milrow, but he sure is heck more disciplined in the pocket, isn't looking to run away at the first sign of trouble. He didn't get sacked at all. Rice sacked him three times. Alabama didn't sack him once, and that's with Dallas Turner, and that's with a defense that, honestly, by talent, should be top 10. You know, they have Jaheim, if Jaheim Oates at defensive line and several other players, but especially Dallas Turner, Deontay Lawson, and then at secondary, they have Caleb Downs, Kool-Aid McKinstry, Malachi Moore. I mean, Alabama has players on defense, if players, and... Quinn Ewers took the head off that defense. Him, Adani Mitchell, who, as we know from his time at Georgia in the college football playoffs, he's a special player. Xavier Worthy is a special player. As a Michigan fan, personally, if he was at Michigan right now with how good J.J. McCarthy was playing, Michigan could legitimately have one of the best passing offenses in the country this year if you just put Xavier Worthy in Michigan's wide receiver room with how good J.J. McCarthy looks. Now, that would be a bold prediction, and I wouldn't necessarily say, I wouldn't say that if Worthy was with the school because we haven't played anyone yet. But that's just talking about a hypothetical. The reality for Texas is if Ewers plays to his ceiling and if Worthy and Mitchell can stay healthy, not have drops, if Jatavion Sanders, like if, if all things stay constant, this passing game has the potential to be the best in the nation, along with, you know, obviously Washington's. Ohio State's has that potential, but they have their own issues that I'll get to in an episode later today. Only scoring 35 points against Youngstown State is not a good look. Texas scored nearly the same amount of points against an Alabama team who would probably beat Youngstown State by 40, just looking at what they did to Middle Tennessee State University. But this was a good performance by Ewers. It really was. And in this game against Alabama, Ewers had one receiver of over 100 yards, and that was Jatavion Sanders. He could also be classified as player of the game in my mind, leading the team in receptions tied with Worthy, receiving yards. He had a long reception of 50, and he was constantly picking up yards, saving Ewers when all of his other players were covered, etc., just a really good player. I mean, he's an elite tight end. And then at running back, Jonathan Brooks, averaging four yards per pop against that defense and getting the final, I believe, 14-yard run to seal the deal on third and seven, that was incredible as well. It really was. So Quinn Ewers and to Steve Sarkeesian and Texas, congratulations. You're back. 
That's probably an overreaction or potentially an overreaction, but look, I think Texas is back. And I say probably an overreaction because I've discovered as of last night that my definition of Texas being back is different than many people's definition of Texas being back. Many people's definition of Texas being back is they're going to contend for a national title. My definition of Texas being back is you win your conference for the first time since 2009. Now, those are very different things. Winning a college football playoff game, or at least entering the college football playoff and participating in it, is different than participating in your conference championship game. And Texas would know that, being that they participated in the Big 12 title game in 2018 just by having no hope of going to the playoffs even if they won that game. The same could be said for teams like Wisconsin. Um, That was the case with Florida in 2016 and 17 when they appeared in the SEC championship game. You know, competing for your conference is not the same as competing for a national title. But to speak of a team who has competed for several national titles over the past few seasons, over the past decade and a half more specifically, talking about Nick Saban, I don't know what to think if I were Nick Saban outside of the fact that my team is just... They don't live up to the Alabama standard. Plain and simple. And Jalen Milrow, there were a friend of mine was constantly talking about how Ty Simpson should be put in. And my argument to that is, well, I can understand why, but at the same time, Texas's defense got pressure. They had five sacks, nine tackles for loss. They tackled well. They only had one pass defended. Texas's weakness ultimately was in the secondary. I mean, Jalen Milrow averaged nearly 10 yards per pass attempt. That tells you, along with the fact that, I mean, that that tells you that Texas at secondary does have some issues to work through. But also what I was going to mention is Milrow, the best part of his passing game is the deep ball. And Alabama has guys like Kobe Prentice and Isaiah Bond and other players who, they're good wide receivers. They do have talent. My question in all of this, and pardon me if I'm being ignorant here, is what happened to Ja'Cory Brooks? Why hasn't he, why hasn't he had a single reception on the year yet? Uh, Pardon me again if I don't necessarily know about what's going on, but why isn't he in the game? And He sat out of the first half against Middle Tennessee State, apparently. And look, I'm a Big Ten guy. I try and cover all college football, but I can't keep up with all the news out there. Why isn't he in the game? Tell tell me down below and let me know what's going on, because I'm surprised that he hasn't been involved in the passing attack. I thought he was going to be Alabama's best wide receiver, and to see him not appearing in this game or having a single reception on the year is interesting. Maybe he's nagging an injury, something personal's going on. Let me know down below. And I'm sorry that I had to ask that question, but that was something that honestly, last night I didn't hear his name being called. Seeing how Alabama's offense was sluggish, I didn't think much of it. But this morning, thinking about it, looking at the stats, I'm surprised. Like, what happened? So let me know if you can in the comments below. But Alabama struggled to run the football. They only averaged three yards per carry. Their passing statistics, their average yards gained per pass attempt is almost fake 
And I say that because Jalen Milrow threw two picks. He missed several guys who were wide open, whether it was on deep routes. Like the Jace McClellan wheel route, for example, where McClellan is lined up with a linebacker. Easy touchdown if Milrow can just pass it. Beautiful play call drawn up by Tommy Reese. Nope, Milrow overthrows that guy by a yard. So, touchdowns taken off the board. Texas gets the ball back. I think that was 27-24 Texas. Like, that could have been a game-changing type play. But ultimately, much like the Colorado and Nebraska game, if you switched the two quarterbacks for Colorado and Nebraska, Nebraska might win that game at Colorado if you gave Deion Sanders Jeff Sims and if you gave Matt Rule Shadur Sanders. It's a very... It's a it's a possibility right there. For this game, that's also a possibility. I mean, Quinn Ewers played night and day compared to Milrow. But the reason why Milrow is likely the starting quarterback for the Tide is he can scramble, and he's an athlete, and he has the highest ceiling out of any of the quarterbacks in that room. Ty Simpson can throw the ball. He's probably more accurate than Milrow. The problem is he's not nearly as mobile. And when you give up five sacks, five sacks, Let's say it again, five sacks. You need someone who can escape the pocket and make plays. And Jalen Milrow can escape the pocket, extend plays for several seconds longer than they should be, than they should exist. And Jalen Milrow can, he can evade pressure. He can scramble for big gains. And he can, I mean, there were a few plays where he had some linemen downfield because It looks like he was going to take off and run, but then he threw some beautiful passes. He's deceptive. I mean, if he can be trained and he can mature and he can take big steps forward, he can wreck defenses with his legs, with his, I think, his potential to make plays. I think his potential to, if he obviously matures, there is some playmaking and intelligence there. Certainly. But he has to be patient. That's one thing that I didn't like from Jalen Milrose's game. He is not patient. I mean, there were times where he had no pressure. The O-line was doing their job. He rolls out of the pocket into pressure like I would a few years ago playing NCAA 14 with a mobile quarterback. It's ridiculous. He needs to be more patient. He has the talent. I think he has the football IQ. He has what it takes to be successful. The question is... Will he learn? Will he mature? Will he do? It's not can he, it's will Jalen Milrow become a great quarterback or learn from this experience? That will know in due time. Alabama looks like they're in an identity crisis. It's crazy. The defense had holes. The offense was inconsistent and undisciplined. Face masks, false starts, linemen downfield, though you can... You can call that whatever. I don't know if I'd blame that penalty on anyone. But regardless, the Crimson Tide last year against Texas had 15 penalties. Kept Texas in the game, arguably. They had 10 penalties for 90 yards this season. So in total over the past two seasons, they've had 25 penalties against Texas. Meanwhile, the Longhorns had four penalties for 40 rushing yards. Something as to why I thought that Alabama wouldn't appear in the playoffs this year. That was a prediction of mine. They'd miss the playoffs for the second year in a row is because they made such a schematic change without heavily using the portal 
and why should they? They have all the talent in the world, that I thought that this would take a transition. And it would be one thing if they made a schematic U-turn in regards from going to a Bill O'Brien run-and-shoot or air raid to a Tommy Reese, um, you know, power, power run, pro-style offense. They lost most, if not all of their production at parts, depending on the position group you look at. So they had new players, some in the case of freshmen and Caden Proctor and Caleb Downs, green players, high ceiling, but low floor because they're just coming out of high school. And you have Jalen Milrow, who's not as good as Bryce Young. We knew that the quarterback room would have their struggles when it was announced that Tyler Buckner was transferring in from Notre Dame. And if you watch the spring game, and all these things combined into one, plus Pete Golding and his schemes left the defense in a shape where they're probably top 15 or top 10, but they're certainly not a top five defense. And Kevin Steele, I think, was meant to be a placeholder hire, which means you don't have an elite DC. In my mind, Tommy Reese isn't an elite OC. And even though the ceiling of this team with their talent is elite, Alabama this season probably has one of their lowest, if not their lowest, floor since 2010. They're undisciplined. The defense is inefficient. They can't get pressure. They can't cover elite wide receivers. I mean, I know that Texas had a good game, but who's to say that Texas is a playoff team right now? We have to wait and see if they're still consistent. Last year, they lost to Alabama by one, and then lost to Oklahoma State and many other teams, Washington included, by, you know, seven or ten points. Most of them were one-score games, of course, but, you know, they lost to Texas Tech. They lost to TCU, lost to Washington, Alabama, and then Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State finished seven and six. I mean, Alabama was probably... Out of all those teams they lost to, the best team, and Texas played them the closest. So it's interesting. For both of these teams, we don't know how they'll finish. The same with any team in college football this year. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Washington. They could lose some more games on the way. Florida State even. Clemson, the way they looked against Charleston Southern, if that offense can come together and the defense can come together— Maybe they can pull themselves back up from that horrible loss to Duke and contend for the ACC. Who knows? That's the beauty of this season is chaos is occurring, and Alabama looking the way they did, and Texas coming in and smoking them in Bryant-Denny Stadium, that's chaos, and that's what we college football fans love to see. And for Nick Saban, who knows at this point? Who knows what he's thinking? I mean, obviously he's aging. I'm not going to insinuate that he retires after this year, but his teams for about three years in a row have not played to the Alabama standard. Whether that's the standard of the late 2010s where they ran a spread, an air raid, and they were all offense still with a great defense, or the standard before then where the Tide had an elite defense but a great offense. They have not played to that disciplined, cohesive, team mentality, disciplined, intimidating standard. They haven't. They have not been the nation's number one team or number one program since 2020. In fact, I'd argue that that for every week of the past three seasons, 
outside of that SEC championship game against Georgia in 2021, they have not been the nation's number one. They have not been the nation's number one team in any of those games. They have not looked like it, which is crazy to say with Bryce Young and Will Anderson, but football's more than just two players. It's an entire roster. It's a coaching staff, and Alabama has to go back to the drawing board. It will be a challenge for them to win out after this game, but they can certainly do it. And for Texas and Steve Sarkeesian, I know I've talked about Alabama a lot for them losing this game. For Texas, it's simple. You win out, or even if you win the rest of your games except for one, and you go 12-1, and one, you're going to the college football playoff. Seriously. I mean, it's, it's, it is real now for Texas. They had over 400 offensive yards. As I mentioned earlier, they had four touchdowns. Texas, in my mind, is back. Now, we'll wait for confirmation on that at the end of the regular season, but I think that they're back, and I think the way they played against Alabama, Rice is better than advertised. They beat Houston in overtime, so the way they played against Rice even. In the two-game sample size that we have of Texas, they're definitely a top-10 team. The Longhorns are physical, and Sarkeesian is an elite play caller and a great leader of young men who is commanding talent. That's deadly. That's dangerous. Sarkeesian gained my respect after this game. He had it before. However, I had questions about him as a head coach, and rightfully so. He's changed. I mean, this is the ultimate... Think about this. This is the ultimate redemption story. From a man who at USC was fired for, you know, drinking on the job and not doing a good job coaching, got fired, left in disgrace coached Alabama as the interim OC in the 2016 National Championship game after Lane Kiffin was, you know, let go, was fired for himself being late and not a good quality leader. Then he got hired by the Falcons. He returned to Alabama to be their offensive coordinator. And in 2020, he led the nation's number one offense, genius play caller, made Mac Jones, Devonta Smith, Najee Harris, and that whole offense function smoothly. It was like, it was a well-oiled machine Alabama was in 2020. I know that it was the COVID year, but Alabama in 2020, in my mind, definitely has an argument to be one of the greatest teams of all time. The amount of NFL talent that they had, the amount of offensive production they had, the system that they had in place, that team would have competed for tearing apart any team in the history of college football. That's how good they were. They could have done what they did to Ohio State in the national title to potentially, not saying they would have, but potentially anyone who ever played. That's how good that offense was. It was 2019 LSU level. And that was with a quarterback in Mac Jones, who, let's face it, is not as nearly as good as Joe Burrow, which makes you look at the man in Steve Sarkeesian who gave Jones the right play calls, the right reads, developed the right routes, and gave him the proper protection, who schemed up everything to make him look as good as Joe Burrow as a passer. It's, it's crazy, if you really want to think about it. He's an elite play caller. We knew that entering this year. We knew that he could recruit at a high level, command an offense at a great level, and... When you beat Alabama in Bryant-Denny Stadium, 
you're a great you're a great coach. You are. And you can say that about, you know, I would say Hugh Freeze at Auburn. He's 2 and 0 right now at Ole Miss. I mean, he had them winning against top talent. What he did off the field, that's a different question. I'm talking about football acumen. Hugh Freeze has great football acumen. Ed Orgeron, he is not coaching right now. I would not say he's a great coach, but he had great coaches around him. He had one of the best staffs in the nation. Dave Aranda's the defensive coordinator, Steve Esminger as the offensive coordinator, and then Joe Brady as the passing game coordinator. And he was the hottest name in college football, one of the hottest names in college football after that 2019 season. So for Texas, it's real. For Alabama, it's you got to go back to the drawing board because Alabama plays South Florida, who will be a cupcake. That will be a game where I wouldn't be shocked if Alabama wins like 70 to nothing. They're going to be mad after this game. But then it's a home game against Ole Miss, back-to-back road games against Mississippi State and Texas A&M. And A&M did not look good against Miami, but I'll tell you what A&M has. They have a passing offense. They have Connor Wiegman. They have Evan Stewart. They have Moose Muhammad. They have, they have, look, they will be able to score on Alabama, and it's going to be a road game. Um, Tennessee, they didn't look good. I wouldn't be concerned about them. LSU, with Mason Smith back, and if that defense can pull themselves together after that loss to Florida State, LSU could be a problem. A road game at Auburn, that's always something to look out for as well. And then, they're likely, I, I'm telling you right now, they're going to face Georgia in the SEC title game. This is a prediction I've had since the preseason, but right now it looks like Georgia is going to beat everyone that they play by 21 points. Like, they will smoke everyone, even if they're not the number one team in the nation by virtue of smoking their schedule and going undefeated. They're going to remain number one for the rest of the year, unless they look sluggish in every conference game they play in. And that's not happening. I highly doubt they lose to anyone. So for Alabama, they have to go to the drawing board. If they want to reach the college football playoff or even contend for the SEC this year, it's panic mode. And for Texas, it's celebration time. I mean, enjoy this Sunday. You just beat Nick Saban. You beat the Crimson Tide. And it's okay to celebrate for a day as long as you go back to the drawing board and you don't get pumped full of hot air on Monday. And I don't think Steve Sarkeesian is going to let his that happen to his players. That's all I have to say in this reaction video. I want to give a quick shout-out to my patrons before ending this video. If you're interested in supporting the channel, click the link to my Patreon down below in the description. Shout-out to Spencer Bringhurst, my all-American patron, and Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, and Matthew Sale, my all-conference patrons. Thank you so much for watching this video. Remember to subscribe, hit the notification bell, and comment your thoughts down below if you haven't already. And also give this video a thumbs up. Let me know who you thought your player of the game for Alabama versus Texas was and where you think both of these programs will finish at year's end. Thank you all for watching this video, and I'll see you guys around. Bye-bye.